0: The Free For All Roundtable.
1: Round one. On round one this morning, we say good morning to Laura Babcock from Power Group Communications, host of The O Show. International trade lawyer Mark Warner is here. Shelley Carroll is back, newly re-elected city councillor. Nice to have you back. I don't want to you know, make too much of a fuss, Shelly Carroll, because then Mark Warner and Laura <laughs> Babcock are going <laughs> to feel lonely. But uh, congratulations. How was the campaign?
2: Thank you so much. It, it was really great. You know, we it's been a long time for, for a lot of counselors since they did such a full canvas of their neighbourhoods because we had to be careful uh, because of COVID guidelines. So it was really great to touch base with thousands and thousands. It was really a great campaign.
1: Okay. And Laura Babcock, I should also canvas you for a moment on the election in Hamilton. I always say you're sort of our Hamilton specialist. Um, I know if... if my memory serves you kind of threw in the towel on Andrea Horvath after she appeared on your show you didn't feel that she made a convincing case but she is now the elected mayor of Hamilton how does that leave things for you
0: uh, no it's fine you know she's a better choice I've always felt than the previous mayor that we had that I wanted to resign after the Sewergate scandal um, but you know she won by one percent 1.7 percent it was very very tight and unknown really uh, almost beat her so I don't think she's got a huge mandate she's gonna have to build a lot of bridges, but we did manage to flip 10 council seats, which is incredible. So it's been a huge change, a new era for Hamilton. I couldn't be more thrilled.
1: It's uh, gone to the point in, uh, at the Emergencies Act Inquiry, and Mark, I'll start with you on this one, where I don't know who to believe anymore because one minute somebody is saying they needed the Emergency Act and the next minute they say they didn't. Uh, then we hear about the memo I was talking about a little while ago on the show that said that they were worried that some of the protesters could be armed. They were organized. They were anti-authority. So, you know, there's so much contradictory testimony. There's so much um, jurisdictional politics here. I don't know if there's a means of getting to the bottom of it, but what do you think?
3: Um, I've not really been following it all that closely. So I've been, you know, because I didn't have great expectations for this inquiry. But look, I think that there are two things going on here. It It is... The federal government's position, it seems to me, from the start, has tried to muddy this thing into being a question of, can't we show how terrible everything was? Everything was so murky, and therefore whatever we did was justified. But I think the legal test is a really simple test. And if people are smart and not allow themselves to be fooled by this, it's meant to be exceptional legislation, right? This is meant to be something that we do as a last resort. <laughs> now, the government's trying to dumb this down and say, well, it doesn't have to be a last resort. It could be that just a difficult thing. Information was uncertain. No, that's not the test. And, and I think if, the te- if, the, if this judge, who I still have doubts about, if this judge sticks to the law, then this should be relatively simple, despite the fact that there's a, an attempt to, I think, to make this sound murky. I think it seems to if there if the evidence is mixed and confused, then that's really the evidence why it shouldn't have been used.
1: Okay. Well, Shelly you, know, you
2: know, yeah, go. I'm I'm surprised that it, it's I, to me it seems to be getting murky now because it's become more about a failure of various law enforcement agencies and the government to actually collaborate, but. To me, I thought it was going to be cut and dried because if we, if we cast our minds back, when the when the act was used was when the, the, the convoy got to a point where we didn't know what weapons were in there. But, mm-hmm. but most importantly, families and children were being used as shields. Right. And so, uh, you know, you needed the act gave you the ability to forbid children, get them out of there. Um, And and in some cases, that separated dad from families that he could choose to go without. But the act allowed them to do those things to clear the site at the end. So I actually thought this inquiry was going to zero in on that and be cut and dried. But now it's become about let's peel back the onion and see how badly these these various police agencies were, were collaborating, and and maybe that's something that we need to look at, because it, it seems like this thing could have been much better run without the act in the first week if only that collaboration had happened.
1: Yeah, well, it is possible, Laura Babcock, that the scope, as shaped perhaps by the mandate, but more so by the judge leading the investigation, is too wide, and they need to zero in on the very question, was the act needed? Let's get beyond all of this interjurisdictional politics.
0: Well, I think as Tui said earlier, there was a lack of unity of command, and maybe had there been unity of command um, right at the beginning, it would have helped, but it also would have depended on what the person in command believed, because, you know, we watched this slow-moving protests literally drive across the country for days. We knew what they were saying. There was OPP intelligence that they were planning on kind of locking in and staying in Ottawa, and so it came down to what did the Ottawa police chief believe? What did the cops who were working it believe about the protesters? So. To, when I look back at this, I kind of kind of try to zoom all the way out, uh, and we had stuff going on in Alberta, one of the border crossings where there was a weapons cache. We had the bridges um, being, the threats of the bridges being blocked and just in time deliveries for the automotive sector internationally being stopped. We had this stuff happening in downtown. I'm just saying it was an absolute mess for the country and there was political pressure locally, domestically, internationally for them to do something. So I think we have to look at this with a broad lens because it affected the country and it affected canada in the world
3: your question though though really is i mean I, I you know in my world my little piece of world which admittedly is not your world but you know the, the things like the measures that were done on what we call de-risking people from using their banking stuff is just truly exceptional for a democratic society not in line with anything that any of our peer countries do truly shocking by people in my world look at. And so, you know, if if you keep us up with their bouncy castle sort of level of discussion where you have a conversation about, um, you know, your fears and whatever, instead of, did they need to actually de-risk Canadians in a totally bizarre and uh, exceptional way in order to stop this, that's the question we need to ask. But it's not about bouncy, bouncy castles, castles
0: Mark. Mark, with all due respect, yeah. it's not about bouncy castles. It's about the people who lived in Ottawa. It's about the it's concerns about across the country. It it's about trade. It's about a whole bunch of different considerations. This is not a simple question, and that's why we're okay. having an inquiry.
3: And the Ambassador Bridge was open before it was enacted, so yeah, but it's all nonsense. We'll see what we'll see what the judge says.
1: All right, let's uh, move on to a few other things, including um, there's an RCM investigation underway of what they are calling Chinese police stations operating in Ontario. Um, Laura Babcock, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, the suggestion is, is that these are basically Chinese nationals dispatched to Canada to make life miserable for Chinese nationals who live in Canada and maybe repatriate some of them. Um, other people are suggesting that it's just, oh no, no, we're, we're here to help somebody update their domestic license, uh, the driver's license. It's no big deal. Well,
0: uh, it certainly feels like a big deal, and I'm glad the RCMP is looking into it. I mean, the consulates are there to do some of these activities, and and the arguments made that well, this is a needed extra step, and you know, it's it's doing some processing type stuff. Uh, Maybe that is the case. But when we're looking at what's happening in China, when we're looking at the unprecedented third term that Xi has just got, when we're looking at uh, how they're raiding their own citizens over there, and the fact that they're using this sort of telecom fraud stuff to to bring people back into China, I think it's, it's casts a pretty big shadow over people who are here and I think as Canadian government we should absolutely pursue this and make sure that there's nothing untoward happening to Chinese people who are here in Canada.
1: And Shelley Carroll, it's either um, some pretty sophisticated cloak and dagger or the height of amateurism. I know the Star visited three addresses that were attributed to these, you know, alleged police stations. And the people who worked there were like, what? I don't know anything.
2: Well, yes, but I think they do need to keep digging because what the accusations are coming for, coming from this non governmental organization that sounded the alarm. We have to investigate because the accusation they're making is that that uh, the powers that be behind these organizations not you know probably the nice driver's license lady sitting in the office that they they visited, but that there is organization behind these these you know, mock stations that is actually threatening people by, by threatening their relatives back home. And when you think of it, you know, the, 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 the Chinese Canadian population is, is uh, massive in Toronto, massive in the area that I represent. And if they are actually being threatened by manipulating the access to education or whatever back home of relatives we we really can't have that as Canadians um, and and really globally if if that becomes uh, what happens to people who who actually. Take part in globalization by moving to other countries, but, but leaving some family behind. Um, then, it, then it threatens the whole way that the global economy works right now. So, it it really has to be followed up on. And I'm I'm actually reading the the article we read this morning and, and hearing about this. Really concerned for people who live right here in in our midst, and and particularly in my neighborhoods.
3: And I just and, add one yeah. thing. Absolutely, Cause, cause my angle to this is you know. This is something that we've seen going on, uh, investigations going on in the United States. Prosecutions have been led by the Department of Justice. So we've seen things, allegations in Sweden and in, in Holland. I don't really understand why Canada is late to this parade and, and sort of surfacing these issues. And again, we have this huge, we, we know we have these ongoing issues with China. We just once again, it seems that this government doesn't have an ability to take on China when things like this are, are going on. And so I hope they... Deal with it. Other countries seem to be further along in dealing with it. I just don't know why we have such a lax attitude towards China. Not a lot of time left on the clock,
1: but quick thoughts. And uh, Shelley Carroll, I'll start with you. Um, Survey or census results show that uh, the fastest growing faith is not faith in Canada. About a third of Canadians are agnostic or atheist. Are we the poorer for that?
2: Well, I think uh, as long as we uh, remember what it means to be Canadian, that, that uh, you know, fundamentally we're, we're sociable and neighborly people, um, then people can be free to, to practice or not practice whatever. Um, it, you know, I, I think that's the, the important thing. As long as we remember that, it, uh, it goes along with religious affiliation and we can't lose that.
1: Okay, but Mark Warner, do people then necessarily, because of our sort of anthropology, start looking for other faiths?
3: Oh, yes, but I, I think the only poll of, sort of this sort that I would value would be one that, that took place as people were getting on an airplane. And then I think we'd know just how many people have religious affiliations. But <laughs> people asking them in the abstract when they're sitting at the bar, I don't know whether that really matters too much. But okay. I, I, I bet a lot of people are praying on airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all. Good to have you this morning.
1: Welcome back, Shelley. And uh, that was uh, Laura Babcock, Mark Warner, and Shelley Carroll. Catch the round table. Round one at 745, round two at 845, weekday mornings on more in the morning. News talk 1010, Toronto.